0: Love Talk Radio. You might see me Hello
1: everyone and thank you for tuning in to Help for HD Live. Help for HD Live is made possible by Teva Pharmaceuticals and the Griffin Foundation. I am your host, Katie Jackson, and today we have Kevin McCormick on with us. Kevin is the Senior Director of Public Communications and Patient Advocate Outreach at the California Institute of Regenerative Medicine, also known as CIRM. CIRM's mission is to accelerate getting stem cell treatments to patients with unmet needs. Today, Kevin will update us on all that's going on at CERM, as well as explain to us a little bit about the newest program, the Alpha Clinics, which we are all hearing about coming out of UC Davis for those of us that live in Sacramento and follow, of course, the amazing Jan Multa. So I will jump straight into the show. Welcome to the show, Kevin. We, I'm excited to have you. I haven't talked to you for so
0: long. Thank you, Katie. It's always a pleasure to, to be on the show and to talk to you and to the audience. I mean, there's a lot going on at CERM, so it's always great to have a chance to, to share what's happening.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, give us a little bit of a history lesson about CERM, how it started, and a little bit about your mission.
0: Of course. Well, we were started by the voters of California uh, back in 2004. Uh, they approved Proposition 71, and that gave us $3 billion dollars to help fund stem cell research in in California. And in a way we were started in kind of in opposition to what President George W. Bush had done a couple of years earlier in imposing fairly strict uh, restrictions on federal funding For embryonic stem cell research and at the time really the only research that was going on that was producing any kind of positive results was embryonic stem cell research so that's how we got started but over the last few years as more and more uh, knowledge and science has advanced and we're using more and more different kinds of stem cells and so we've really been kind of um, pushing the envelope in the sense that and moved away from just relying on embryonic stem cells and looking at all different other kinds of cells to see how we can use those to find new treatments and hopefully cures so for conditions like Huntington's.
1: Yes, absolutely. And tell us a little bit about um, what patients need to know or should know about what's going on at CERM. You guys have an amazing website that a patient you can actually go to and click on patient. Um, patients so you can know more about stem cells, but kind of tell us a little bit about what's going on in that section of the website and CERP.
0: Well, the website itself is enormously complicated because we're trying to kind of meet the needs of the researchers who kind of keep track of all the money that we're giving them and the funding that we're giving them, but also patients and patient advocates who want to find out about potential therapies and and, and treatments for a really wide variety of conditions. For example, we've funded over 800 different projects, and currently we have more than 250 that are still active, and that's in 40 different diseases. So so there's a lot going on, and sometimes it's a little hard to find um, the information you need. But if you go to our website, on the front page, you'll just see a button that says for patients, and within that section, you can find out all about all the, the, the clinical trials for funding, and to date, we funded more than 44, um, including an observational trial for Huntington's disease. You can find out about all the other research for funding the Alpha Stem Cell Clinics uh, is there as well, which I know Katie and I are going to be talking about shortly, disease programs, and what that does is it looks at all the different funding amounts by different diseases, for example, with Huntington's. We have funded uh, 14 different projects, invested in 14 different projects over the years for almost $30 million. And obviously we would like to do more. Every chance we get to kind of fund some of the work that say Dr. Wheelock or Dr. Nolte are doing, or Leslie Thompson, um, some great researchers there, we're happy to do that because clearly um, our mission is to accelerate stem cell treatments to patients with unmet medical needs. And if ever there was a condition that was an unmet medical need, it's Huntington's. So, and that section on um, patient resources, it has a wide variety of different things. There's videos of interviews we've done with researchers and patients and patient advocates. There's a whole section on stem cell basics. So if you're not really familiar with what stem cells are or or how they work, That will fill you in on everything you need to know about how we work uh, in funding, how we're accelerating research towards cure, some of the myths and misconceptions about stem cell research and, and some of the things that people have been saying over the years that just aren't true. So it's all about these ideas about how we can help people be better informed. There's a section on stem cell tourism, which is really important these days because there are hundreds of clinics around the country, including many here in California, that are offering what they call a, a therapies or treatment systems for conditions like Huntington's, but that really don't have any evidence that what they're doing is either safe or effective. Mm-hmm. So going to a section like that can give you some information, some knowledge about the kinds of things you should look for in a clinical trial or a potential treatment, kinds of questions you should be asking. And then there's a patient advocate toolbox and the idea is to, to empower as many people as possible to, to be advocates not just for that particular disease area of interest but for stem cell research in general to know how to kind of go out and give presentations or talks, to go and talk to legislators to, to ask them to support stem cell research in general. So the, CERM, the CERM, um website is a, is a huge resource and we spend a lot of time trying to perfect it but I mean obviously there's still lots of things that we would love to do so if any of your, your listeners uh, go there and see things that they they think need changing. Then we'd love to hear from them because we're always trying to improve it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think there were two things that really stuck out in in my mind. What you just talked about. One is, you know, um, I you know I took a strong stance of being a stem cell advocate um, years ago, and I started working with different agencies and different research stem cell researchers. And I got a lot of ridicule, like I on social media and people emailing me, calling me, you know. All these different names I would try to do fundraisers people would not participate because it was stem cell stem cells they would back out they wouldn't show up Um, you know it was really hard being a stem cell advocate research advocate when I first came out and the one thing is that I learned in walking that is having to educate people that you know a lot of this is not this is mesenchymal stem cells this is not embryonic stem cells talking about stem cells and when you don't have a background in you know in stem cell research or biology or anything it's really hard to be able to communicate with people about why you're an advocate for stem cells i know it is i'm an advocate to save my husband and my children but why is it ethical you know and so i think that a lot of these different things on this website will help you talk to people about why you're a stem cell advocate and, and break down some of the stigmas and barriers that uh, people may still have to this day, even though, you know, people aren't, aren't very educated when it comes to stem cells. So, um, I, I think, think they, really hear, they
0: hear certain things about stem cell research and they, they just kind of fall back on, on preconceived notions of what's involved, mm-hmm. and they don't take sure. the time um, to look at it. Also, sometimes it can be a bit confusing and a, and a bit intimidating if you're trying to read something that's heavily scientific. I mean, one of the reasons why I report to CERN is that I don't have a science background. I'm not a scientist or a researcher. I was a journalist, and I just have a love of science. And so my role was, in a sense, to serve as kind of the official translator for the agency to, kind of, to be able to translate some of this science into things that ordinary people like myself without a science background could understand. I mean, I joke sometimes that um, I ask stupid questions so you don't have to. But it's true. I mean, I can just talk to a researcher and say, what do you mean by that? and then be able to kind of get them to talk to me in a way that I can then help turn it into kind of everyday English so that we can help people understand and educate them about stem cell research. But there are still a lot of misconceptions about um, stem cell research that the notion of embryonic stem cells, for example, that they're taken from aborted fetuses, or but whereas in fact they're taken from uh, embryos from IVF clinics where couples have gone to try and start a family, and at the end of the procedure they often have many of these embryos that have been frozen left over, and they're faced with the choice of either donating them to research or destroying them, and in many right. cases they donate them to research, and so. so There are ethical issues for for some people in terms of the faith-based principles, and we we certainly respect that and understand it. But I think when you take time to explain to people that these embryos are actually just five days old, in most cases, most people, uh, it changes the way they think about them and the way they feel about that kind of research. But as we were mentioning earlier, I mean, a lot of our research now has moved on from embryonic stem cell research to adult stem cells. Where we're really having uh-huh. some really encouraging and exciting results with a, with um, some autoimmune disorders, for example, such as SCID, which is severe combined immunodeficiency. It's also known as bubble baby disease because children born uh-huh. with this condition um, don't have a functioning immune system, and so even a simple cold or, or a virus could kill them. And what we've been funding work with the Dr. Don Kohn at UCLA. And he's cured, I mean, and this is a word we don't use lightly, he's cured dozens of children with this condition. Mm -hmm. And now we're hoping to take Mm -hmm. that same kind of idea, the same principles that he's using in that therapy to work on finding a treatment for sickle cell disease, and even at some point, um, HIV AIDS. So the progress is being made, and it's pretty exciting stuff. But I think often mm-hmm. it's overlooked um, in, because of the kind of the, the, the controversy surrounding embryonic stem cells early on. Sure. So we're hoping to kind of push past that and educate people and let them know that they can make a difference, that the work that they're talking about and supporting, the work you have supported for many, many years, Katie, is making progress mm-hmm. and it's really it's making a difference in people's lives and it's saving people's lives.
1: Right, right. And I think one thing you brought up, and I, I, you know, I really had it, you know, bioethics, that is a word that we as patient advocates chill, um, and we Mm -hmm. shine from. But if you're a strong advocate, you go head to head with a a committee of bioethics, which I've done. Um, And, and um, the one thing that I actually, you know, I've always been really, I'm supposed to be in Germany next week, but I, I, for the bioethics um, meeting there, and I, I wasn't able to go, I'm sending a colleague in my place, because my husband's so sick, but um, I did go to a bioethics um, meeting, and they really showed stem cell tourism, and they were just trying to, con- you know, show what something can happen when you're when you're not taking, like, an ethical approach to medicine. And I was blown away. It actually changed a lot of my views, and I'm really glad I went to that meeting. Um, so if anyone, you know, really look into stem cell tourism because I was blown away about how people actually got worse. They were in more pain. They got sicker. They got – I mean – what happened to these people, you know, the, the blessing is if it just didn't work, right? That was a blessing yeah. because that you spend a ton of money and a ton of time, but at least you're not worse than you were. But the stories that really, really broke my heart were the stories watching these people that went to these stem cell um, clinics, and they, they actually came out way worse than when they went in. And oh, um, that's And was it that really case? Changed it was last my year. view. Um,
0: yeah there was a case last year where a clinic in Florida was supposed to be helping um, three women who were suffering from macular degeneration, a, a vision loss, a vision destroying disease, and they ended up coming out blind because of the procedure mm-hmm. that the clinic did on them. And we've heard other stories mm-hmm. about um, women uh, children being kind of impaired, some even kind of risking them that they almost died as a result of going to mm-hmm. these clinics with uh, unproven mm-hmm. therapies. And the danger is that they, mm-hmm. when you go to the website, these clinics look very good. They have very slick websites. The materials on there look great. They have testimonials from mm-hmm. patients, and the doctors are all MDs qualified. So it all sounds safe. And I think what happens is that if you have a condition where there is no treatment, where there is no cure, where there is no hope out there, you will turn anywhere for something that, that gives you a sense of possibility. And if it's five, dollars yeah. 15, $20,000 dollars, people will take that chance. Um, they're just desperate sure. for something that will help. And yeah, in many cases, this it won't. They, they use their own cells. They'll you know, to extract fat cells or blood cells and use those. Um, so the chances of it harming them are small. But um, it, the, what it does do is, is destroy their hope and takes tens of thousands of dollars away from them. And then, of course, if you go to other countries, we have no idea what they're doing in some of those countries. And then you're really getting into unregulated, uncontrolled areas. And that's where it gets particularly dangerous and particularly worrisome for sure. us. Because what happens is that if there's something that's being claimed as a stem cell therapy, And it causes a death or complications that reflects poorly on the industry as a whole. And we have to work very hard then to educate people that this is not stem cell therapy as we know it, as we practice it, as we advocate for it. So so, so that's really something that we're really pushing hard on.
1: Yeah. And, well, you know, in the United States, we have this thing called the FDA, as everyone knows, our listeners know. And, you know, you can love the FDA, you can hate the FDA, you can be in the middle about the FDA. But the one thing the FDA does do is a lot of the time, it, it, it makes it prove tolerability, safety, and efficacy. And people have to understand in the beginning of this research, you know, when it's just in a dish, you know, it's starting to be followed and looked at. And so let's talk about, so what it takes for medicine to get from the dish to bedside is a lot Many years, many dollars, huge process. So we have this thing now called the Alpha Clinics. So let's get into that.
0: Well, the Alpha Clinics are really an interesting idea. And we realized years ago as we were funding research, um, and more more of it was getting ready to go from the bench into clinical trials. And we thought... What's the best thing we can do to help this research? Because many of these therapies had never been tested in people before. We had little experience of how to deliver them. And also because these are stem cells and the idea is that they will hopefully stay in the body and engraft and multiply over the course of many months and maybe even many years. Um, we needed special ways of delivering these therapies, but then also monitoring the patients and doing follow up with them because this was a whole new area of, of medicine. And so we decided we needed something called the Alpha Clinics. And the idea behind them was that this was not just gonna be uh, one hospital here or a clinic there. We wanted to create a network of clinics. And the idea was that they would not only be able to kind of have an expertise in delivering these stem cell therapies, but at every stage of the process, they would be kind of experienced and knowledgeable about what they did. So when patients came in and said, what does this therapy involve? they would have tools and materials and be able to explain to them exactly what was involved. Then when they went in to actually get the therapy, the the clinic was set up in such a way that it met their needs. It wasn't designed around the needs of the researchers or the doctors, but the needs of the patients. And that as the, the, the nurses were particularly skilled delivering these therapies, the doctors in monitoring them and in doing the follow-up. And the idea was that what we learned at one clinic, we would then share with another clinic. And then, so we would learn best practices. We would learn that with a particular condition and a particular therapy, one special approach works much better than anything else. And then the idea as well was that if you have a clinical trial, say, at UCLA and another one at UC San Francisco, you have to get separate um, approvals, not just from the FDA to start that clinical trial, but from what's called, independent review boards or IRBs. Mm -hmm. And again, that that Mm -hmm. usually doesn't um, prove too big an obstacle, but it can take time. And the idea behind this clinic was that if we can create this network, we would only need one IRB in one area to approve it. And then all the other hospitals could then use that same therapy without having to kind of stop and go uh, back and get their IRB to approve it. And for patients, that's particularly important because it meant that if something was approved at say UCLA, they could then do the same thing at UC San Diego if that became you know, appropriate or necessary, and do it quickly because often in these cases, patients are running out of time and they need the, as much help as they can as quickly as they can. So we began the, the Alpha Clinic Network at, uh, about two, three years ago um, with three clinics in Southern California. We put this all out to a bidding mm-hmm. process and, and three winning applications coincidentally came from Southern California. It was UC San Diego, uh, City of Hope, which is in Duarte near Los Angeles, and then UCLA and UC Irvine combined. And so those three kicked off the program. But more recently, we actually approved two more clinics the, up here in Northern California. One is at UCSF, uh, UC San Francisco, and then UC Davis up in Sacramento. And the idea is that the, the knowledge and experience that we've gained in the three clinics in Southern California. UC Davis and UCSF can now just take advantage of and build the program. And I have to say, UC Davis is doing a remarkable job. They've been so enthusiastic and so creative that uh, they've, they've been great fun to work with. I mean, they really have a wonderful sense of this is a wonderful opportunity for them. And one of the, the, the interesting things mm-hmm. about what they're hoping to do is to use telemedicine as a, as a part of their program, which will give them a reach into a much wider community, um, so they can reach out into kind of far northern parts of California in ways that we've never been able to do before. So patients can come in or they can use the telemedicine aspect to do patient consent forms so that they understand what they're getting into. Come to UC Davis for the therapy mm-hmm. and then do a lot of the follow-up stuff through this telemedicine program. Um, it's a lot easier on the patients and it also means that people who live in more rural areas don't have to move to San Francisco or UC Davis in Sacramento for the, for the treatments and then keep coming back week after week. This is, so this makes it easier to reach out to a much wider group of people and for, for patients and patient advocates, that's a wonderful thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And UC Davis, I love going to the Institute of Regenerative Cures. I mean, it's like one of my favorite places to visit. I didn't visit for like a year and I went in and I was like, I just have to come see you guys. Because going in there and seeing how enthusiastic they are, how hard they work. Um, they are such a great team that you see uh, that Jan Nolta leads over there. Uh, they're unbelievable. So I was
0: Absolutely. When I heard that. Absolutely, and the was, level of commitment yeah. to, to this research and to the patients is wonderful. I mean, that's yeah. one of the things yeah. that's always so touching. Is that this isn't just a, a job for them or a career. This is a commitment. This is their passion, oh, yeah. and you can see that whenever you go there and you talk to them. This is what drives them, and what they they really kind of determined to, to do and, and see through to the end and, and it's just it's so inspiring to, to see this and to be around people like that you know, it just really it helps motivate all of us here at CIRM and it helps remind us why we do this work which is to to bring these patients to 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 pay uh sorry these therapies to patients mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah no Jan Nolte is amazing I mean she's cried with us as a community she's embedded or I mean you know everyone in the HD community or all over the nation knows who Jan is, and, and so this is exciting for all of us to hear that UC Davis was chosen to be an alpha clinic, and, um, and so, you know, and we could definitely see with what you're explaining how this will, the sharing of information will definitely help expedite treatments uh, to bedside, it sounds like to me, for sure, with all this kind of this network working together.
0: Absolutely, and that's the goal, is to be able to make it as available as possible. And one of the nice things about CERN is that although we fund most of the research in California, we can also use uh, our funds to bring research from outside California into the state so we can make it available for a clinical trial. For example, we're funding now a program with a a treatment for patients with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, and this is with a company that's based in Israel. Um, And this is a phase three clinical trial, so it's really promising. Ordinarily, we wouldn't be able to do that because they're they're doing their work in other states. But because we had funding, we were able to say to brainstorm, bring your therapy to California. We'll administer it in in some of the alpha clinics, and then um, we'll be able to be part of your clinical trial and we'll help fund that part of it. And so that means that we can bring treatments like this to California, we can make treatments like this available to people in California. And the hope, obviously, is that one day we'll be able to do the same with Huntington's. So even if researchers here in California aren't the first to be able to get into a clinical trial with some promising research, that if there's someone in the UK or Japan or or anywhere around the world, we can bring them here to California and make those treatments available to them here as much as we can. So so the, the Alpha Clinics give us huge uh, ability to attract people because the clinical trial is a really complicated thing to, to stage and if you know that you're going to get funding from CIRM and they're going to be able to use the Alpha Clinics which have all the expertise you'll ever need, it makes it so much easier for firms and companies to say that's where we're going to go, that's where we're going to do our clinical trial.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I know there's always fear of agencies like CIRM um, running out of funding um, and that would be obviously very devastating. I, I think that people look to California as leaders in this space because of CIRM. Um, It's put us on the map as Californians. Um, I mean, I go to other states and I talk about it and they're like, oh, no, that's only in California. So it's definitely we've become leaders in, in um, stem cell research because of CERM. But we all know that money can run out. So how long will CERM be able to continue with the current mission with the funds that are available?
0: You're right about some um, having greater capacity to help than other states. I was just at the World Stem Cell Summit in Miami and, and talking to people from uh, similar agencies in other states, and there's only a handful of those. And even then, they only have maybe 25 million dollars a year to be able to use for funding, or 100 million dollars in some cases. Um, we can do that easily, and just on clinical trials or basic research. So we're very fortunate, mm-hmm. and have been for, for many years. Right now, we have enough funding. We've calculated to keep funding new projects until the end of 2019 so so that gives us two more years of funding and and by saying new projects i mean that those are multi-year projects so we're going to give say 10 million dollars to a project and and pair that out over three or four years so we'll be around for a few more years yes But, obviously, um, we would like to have additional funding because one of the things that we've been able to do and one of the powers of CERM is that we've been able to kind of fund a lot of research at an early stage when pharmaceutical companies, where uh, venture capital investors aren't really interested in getting in because they're not quite sure if it's going to be effective. Um, One of the the really important things of CERM is that when, say, the pharmaceutical industry looks at a, a potential treatment and thinks, can we make money on that? And so the money drives the science. At CERM, the science drives the science because we don't care about making money. That's not what we're in this for. Um, And so we're looking for the best science and the best scientists to be able to fund. And so that's what we're doing. So we hope to be able to keep going (coughs) for a few more years. And then I think there's talk about more money because at this point we have so many projects that we've been funding that we've created this kind of pipeline of really promising research. Mm -hmm. We'd love to be able to see that pipeline continue where we can fund it from really a great idea from the lab into preliminary testing in animals and everything and then into a clinical trial in people. And we have a whole bunch of projects (laughs) along the way that we're trying to get there. And so that's what we're trying to do to keep that pipeline going and to keep that promising research going. Our fear is that if we run out of money or when we run out of money and there's no further funding available, a lot of these projects will just stop because there simply isn't enough money at the federal level to help them continue. There isn't enough venture capital or pharmaceutical interest in them to help them keep going. And so a lot of potential therapies will just end, uh, and that's one thing that we are all determined to try and stop.
1: Right, and yeah, so, many, so much really good research dies in that valley of death and I just, yeah, let's hope that doesn't happen. Well, if there was, is there any talk about going back to the California
0: vote? Yes, actually, um, Bob Klein, who is the uh, he was the father behind Prop 71 that really got CERN started back in 2004, mm-hmm. is already exploring the idea of going back to voters again in 2020. Um, he has a group called Americans for Cures, which is a real strong stem cell advocacy group. And they're already kind of considering what would happen if they went back to voters, putting together, well thinking about putting together another ballot initiative. And this time, they would be asking for, I think, around $5 billion. It's all, it's all speculative at the moment. I mean, this is just what they're talking about doing but i think they're quite serious about trying to put something together and the hope is that if they get that on the ballot, and again it would be a ballot initiative um that voters would get a chance to to, to vote on because what that does if they vote to approve say five billion dollars that's guaranteed funding for us over many many years one of the things that i've seen in other states and one of the things they struggle with is that they have to keep going back to the legislature every year and asking for more money, um, which, is, which is great on one level in the sense that the legislature often gives them money, but it creates a great deal of uncertainty and it's hard to create a sense of continuity. One of our powers is that we've been able to say, we're going to give you $10 million. And we'll administer that over the course of three years or four years or however long it takes you to do your research and so it's much easier to create continuity and stability and for researchers who are working on projects that could take three four or five years that's really important to them not just in time in terms of giving them the opportunity to really do the work they need to do and prove that it works but also to keep a team together a research team because without the money it's hard to keep a research team going hard to keep a lab going So by getting more money, we'd be able to kind of create a lot more uh, continuity, a lot more consistency and stability. And I think for science, those are really important things. And of course, the more money we have, the more, the better able we are to attract the top scientists to California. We've seen dozens and dozens of biotech and high tech companies move to California because they wanted access to our funding and this is the best place to get it. They also wanted access to all the kind of the brain power that's moved to california as a result of cern all the great stem cell scientists and researchers who are here who uh-huh. have grown up um because of the funding that we've been able to provide and, and the experience they've been able to gain from that so there's, a, there's a, a huge need i think to keep this research going and there's a huge desire on the part of many people to keep this research going and so we're hoping that in 2020 bob Klein and his team will decide to go back to the voters to get another ballot initiative um, on on the ballot and hopefully to get that approved for for further funding.
1: Yeah. And if anyone can do it, Bob Klein can do it. Bob Klein, you know, to let our listeners know, he was a patient advocate. You know, he's a strong, amazing person. And, um, and I actually have been involved with Americans for cures too. So I think it's, um, I think it's promising, and and let's hope that we can uh, keep this amazing, promising research going. This is a this is a time for new age medicine, and this is what we're looking at. And, and um, you know, I can't wait for yeah, yeah, the absolutely. day I look back, and I think I was part of this march, you know, um, uh, to bring this new age medicine to life and 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 relieve people's pain and suffering. Um,
0: yeah, absolutely. So, and I uh, think one of the encouraging things is that over the last few years, we've seen an increasing progress from the the laboratory into the clinical trial where we're seeing these therapies make a difference in people's lives. And our hope is that over the course of the next two years, we'll be able to see more and more of those uh, therapies kind of really working in people. The more that we can show the, the voters of California that what we're doing is working, it's having an effect and that this is really just the very beginning. The more effective our message can be and the more chance, the greater the chance we'll have of getting them to support another ballot initiative. We have clinical trials and in, in, in several things now, from heart disease and stroke to diabetes, different forms of cancer, sickle cell disease. So we're covering a lot of ground and if even just one of these proves really effective, the impact on people's health would be enormous. Um, it's something like diabetes, which costs the, 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 the country billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars a year. Sure. If we can get a treatment for mm-hmm. that, the impact would be enormous. The same with stroke or right. cancer. Um, so our ability to, to, to have an impact um, depends on our ability to have the funding we need. And I think the more we can show that we are making a difference, that we are curing people, treating people, changing people's lives, saving people's lives, the more likely the voters of California are to think that this was a really good investment and be willing to kind of, to increase the investment and, and um, get us going again you know, for another term. Yeah, definitely.
1: Well, it was so awesome catching up with you, Kevin. I miss you. And um, I can't believe I wasn't at world stem summit Summit this year. It's one of my favorite events. Um, but so do you have any final thoughts for our listeners before I let you go back to work? Um,
0: just that um, there are many things I really love about my job, but one of the best is getting to work with the patients and the patient advocates. It's a constant reminder why we do this work. And we're very fortunate here at CERN to be able to kind of work with patient advocates like yourself and, and many others like that, Katie, who just remind us that this is this is why we're, we're here. This is We're having a chance to see medicine completely transformed, a completely new way of of, of Looking at disease in a completely new way of, of treating it, a way that doesn't just patch up the problem and kind of treat the symptoms, but that in a sense reverses the, the, the clock, turns back time to regenerate uh, damaged tissues and organs. And, and to be part of that work is just an extraordinary honor. And to see that work paying off and to meet some of the people whose lives have been changed, whose lives have been saved by that, to meet the parents of a little girl who was dying from um, SCID, from severe combined immune disorder, and she's now a healthy five-year-old just living this normal life. To meet a woman named Rosie Barrera who was having her vision destroyed by retinitis pigmentosa, a rare vision-destroying disease, and now to know that she can see the faces of her children uh, for the first time in years because of work that we've helped fund, that's enormously encouraging and, and, and terribly gratifying and quite humbling as well to know that you're part of something that's really going to be changing the, the face of medicine for the future and hopefully ch- transforming the lives of millions of people. So this is the work that we do, and this is work that has such power and such potential, and it's, uh, we're only just beginning in, in many ways. We feel we're only just starting, so we're, we're looking forward to carrying on for many years to come.
1: Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, you let us know at Hope for HD if you need anything, and we will back and support you guys. Um, it was really good talking to you, Kevin. Um, next week, you guys, the show—it's actually a rerun It's uh, Valentine's Day, so we are talking to a couple caregivers about the love you have for your patients that you're caring for at for that they are caring for at home. It's a powerful show. It really shows the amount of love and compassion we have to have as caregivers for our loved ones and uh, what it takes to be a caregiver for a person uh, that you watch suffering with Huntington's in front of you, your your loved ones. So it's it's a powerful show. Tune in one o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, we also have Wave Pharmaceuticals coming out talking about their new gene editing. Uh, the following week, and then we also have HDO coming talking about their summer camp that is going to be in San Diego, California this year, which is really exciting to have it here in California for me um, and for a lot of people I'm sure that are going to be traveling out this way for that camp. Uh, We have a great show of lineups this year and I mean this month and I was excited to kick it off with CERM. and um, so tune in next week. We'll talk to you then. Everyone have a safe night.